Do grab your seats. So we're back in 1 John this morning, where John is reassuring believers around Ephesus, we think, in different churches around there in the countryside and towns and villages, that who they are in God is sons and daughters, who have had the light of God shine into their lives, and that light has shone glorious love upon them. And last week, chapter 3, John helps these believers to see that the faith that they have is genuine because they love one another. It's authentic because believers are loving believers. And then right at the end of chapter 3, John says, we know it, genuine Christianity, by the Spirit He gave us. I imagine 1 John 3 and 4 would be really comforting to someone like Kanye West. I've done well, haven't I? I have gone three weeks without talking about Kanye West. Can you believe that? If you don't know what I'm on about, if you don't have a clue who Kanye West is, well, you probably need to get out a bit more. Um, But he is, of course, one of the most successful artists of all time, and he's just brought out a new album called Jesus is King and says that he's given his life to Jesus, that he has said goodbye to his old life, and he said, I'm going to follow after Jesus with all my heart. Now, there are two extreme responses to Kanye's faith claims, and it's concerning to me that both of them that, as far as I can see, are are mostly taking place amongst Christians. The one that I'm really concerned about to begin with, and I'm seeing a lot of, is that, well, we'll just see. We'll just wait and see. Let's wait and see if this is genuine. Let's see if this guy really does know Jesus. Let's not welcome him in. Let's not accept him as a true believer. Let's just give him a little bit of time out, you know, outside, in quarantine, until we think that he's ready to be called a Christian. I'm not not ready to call him, I'm not going to call him a Christian just yet. It's cynicism, isn't it? Imagine someone came along to this church, gave their lives to Jesus, had come from a background in which they had obviously not been following Jesus. It was, a, it was very obvious by their lifestyle choices. And then they came in, and there seemed to be a change, and they, they professed faith, and they got baptized, and they said, oh, I love Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. And one of us, or some of us, said, well, I, I, I'm, not, I'm going to reserve judgment for a while. I think we'd be pretty shocked if somebody did that. But because, we, because he's a, a celebrity, we think it's fair game. It's not fair game. That's not Christianity. That is works of religion. We're making him work before he can prove to us that he's saved. The other one that concerns me is that Kanye is a Christian, 
And now, Christianity is cool. It's the kind of celebrity thing. We've been waiting for this celebrity Christian to prove to the world that Christianity is really cool. Can I just be really straight with you? Christianity has never been cool and it never will be cool. We should not be looking for church or Christianity to be cool. We're supposed to be on the margins. We're not supposed to be the ones who are making much of ourselves. We're supposed to be making little of ourselves and much of Jesus. My real concern here is that people see Christianity as just another lifestyle choice, and they want someone like Kanye West to prove to their friends, to give them some credibility that Jesus is cool. But actually, they're holding up Kanye West to prove that Jesus is cool, rather than laying down their lives to follow Jesus and making much of him. It's the wrong way around. So John here, in chapter 4, is going to help us discern the difference between the spirits, to help us to know when the Spirit of God is leading us and not the Spirit of the age. And praise God, it's a lot simpler than some would like to make out. And it's going to help not just people who are new believers maybe, like Kanye West is, but those of us who have believed for a long time and, and sometimes doubt and sometimes think, oh man, am I, am, I really, am I really one of God's children? And sometimes I don't feel it as much as other people, so maybe I'm not in. Well, John really helps us here. He lays it out and he says, look, this is what it is to be a Christian. This is what it is to know God. So if you have a Bible with you, Please do turn to 1 John chapter 4, and Cameron is going to come on out and read us 1 John 4. Thank you. 
Thank you, Cameron. So there's, uh, there's a lot in there, isn't there? I think we should pray. Father God, thank you that you are here with us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that now you would teach us that this wouldn't just be a talk, that this wouldn't be uh, just another thing for us to digest through the week. But actually, Lord, you would speak to us into our hearts. Come, Lord, we need you in every way. And so, Father, would you shape our hearts now through Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, it's not only Christians, is it, who have spiritual experiences and seem to love one another. I was in a Southside cafe the other day, got chatting to one of the guys serving me, and he used to live out in California, and he said he went to Hillsong Church out there, and he saw what I was reading on the table uh, when I was doing a bit of sermon prep, and he, he asked the question, he said, what's that about? And that's when he told me I used to go to church. He doesn't go to church anymore, he says he doesn't go to church anymore because he feels like Actually, it's not really about Jesus or Buddha, it's not about Muhammad or Krishna, it's about being a spiritual person, connected to the earth and to each other. So he would describe himself as spiritual, and he would say that actually he wants to be about loving people. Even the new atheist movement believe in some kind of spiritual experience. Even though they think it can all be explained through scientific reasoning and the different chemical reactions that are going on inside our brain, we do think that there can be spiritual experiences of some sort. So I read a Huffington Post article recently where an atheist, uh, an atheistic scientist, tried to explain his spiritual experience of music. Listen to this. In the deep logic of the music, I sense a presence my brain generates a mind state, a persona, and attributes it to the music. 
It has a palpable spirit. And I feel as though I can have a personal relationship to that spirit. The social, interpersonal, emotional machinery of my brain has been recruited. Huh. Of course, there is also this new age type religions that people are increasingly dabbling with getting into and feeling like they can dip in and out of this one and that one and it doesn't matter if they contradict because it's just me working out my spirituality. There are even atheistic churches that are claiming you can have church without God. How do we know then that we are being led by the Spirit, the one true Spirit, the Spirit who leads us to Christ? John says the answer is being able to discern between the spirits, between the Spirit of God and the Antichrist or the, the, the Spirit of the age. So the first thing I want us to see is that the Holy Spirit, the true Spirit of God, is the Spirit of Jesus. John makes this distinction gloriously clear between Antichrist and the Antichrist and the Spirit of Jesus. It's not super complicated. I love that it's not super complicated. I love that he lays this out in simple terms. The Spirit of God will lead us to Jesus. God come in flesh, verse 2. Not only can you tell if you're truly a follower of Jesus, if you love one another, and if you, uh, but by the Spirit of God who is living in you and leading you in all truth to Jesus. In fact, you cannot really know Jesus without the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, who was a creative power in creation, as the breath of God hovering over the deep, brought the universe into being, brought life into being. It was the Spirit who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. It was the Spirit who met with Abraham and Isaac and Moses. It was the Spirit who led Moses and Israel out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness and into the fruitful land, pointing to a much better Moses and a much better kingdom. It was the Spirit who gave breath to the prophets, who prophesied this Messiah who would come. It was the Spirit who dwelt in the temple of God. It was the Spirit who breathed out the Word of God, who caused the Virgin Mary to conceive a child. It was the Spirit who appeared in the form of a dove at Jesus' baptism. It was the Spirit who led Jesus to confront Satan's temptations in the desert. It was the Spirit who Jesus knew was on him to preach, to free captives and recover sight, proclaiming the Lord's favor. It was the Spirit who led Jesus to his Spirit-filled death. Hebrews 9.14, by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And it was the Spirit who tore the curtain in two and led the true temple to destruction and raised him up three days later to give us new life. The Spirit, as you will have already noticed, loves to make much of the Son 
And he does so again and again and again and again. Why? Because the Spirit sees that the answer that we need is always in Christ. The whole of the Bible is centered around what Jesus comes to do for us on the cross. It's like an hourglass. See the hourglass filled up with sand and it flows through this very narrow passage and comes out the other end. Well, imagine that the cross is that very narrow passage. If we want life, true life, it all has to flow through the cross. And here's the thing. Here's one of the most difficult things to explain in our day. But it is vital to understanding the good news. This doesn't begin with you. Even your spiritual journey cannot begin with you. It must begin with God. We need to realize that we were totally unlovable. We were not wonderful people deserving of God's goodness, deserving of his love, just waiting for him to to finally notice how wonderful we are. In the past, people thought they were wonderful if they had performed well, if they were scroll collectors, collecting degrees and making themselves look great through academics, if they were trophy lifters, if they were popular, if they were attractive. And God would say to them, well, your work's counted for nothing. You still fail. You still fall well short of the glory of God. In fact, those works I count as rubbish. Today, every kid in the class gets a trophy. Everyone is told they are beautiful inside and out that they aren't less intellectually able, they just think differently. Most people see through that though, don't they? Eventually, people begin to see through it. You're, you're telling me one thing, but the girls don't chase me. You're telling me one thing, but I've hardly any friends. You're telling me one thing, but I didn't get the job I wanted and I'm last pick every time in the gym. Whether you believe that you're a wonderful inside and out or not, there is good news for you. And it doesn't begin with you. Quite the opposite. We had nothing to offer God. Nothing. Nothing that could prove us worthy of his holiness, his glory, his perfection in unapproachable light. In fact, we oppose God by nature. Yet, but God, he still loved us. He loved us so much that he sent his only son. So we might live through him, says John. That we might live through him. What does he mean that we might live through him? Well, he's implying that before we lived through him, we didn't really live at all. In fact, we dwelt in death. It was a false kind of life. We were the living dead. But now through Jesus, 
we can find life. We are offered life in Jesus, not because of us, not because of our performance, not because of anything we've done, but despite us. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, right at the beginning, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so John is pointing us away from ourselves because when we look to ourselves to be acceptable before God, what are we doing? We're saying that we are worthy. We're saying that we are the ones who can bring about our own salvation. Here is love, not that we have loved God but that he has loved us and sent his son. Still, he loved us. Don't let your pride keep you from Jesus. Jesus says that he opposes, that God opposes the pride and gives grace to the humble. Grace, that's an unmerited gift, not by your works. We receive the love of God not because of one little tiny thing we've done, but because of what God has done for us. Here's a brilliant C.S. Lewis. This is what he had to say about it. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on one thing, on thing and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Not only did he come, but he sacrificed himself on the altar of God's judgment. The world is messed up, have you noticed? The world's a mess. Why? One word, sin. My sin, your sin, the sin of humanity. And without it being fully dealt with, we remain in it, bogged down by it, destroying people's lives and people destroying ours. Perhaps you've been reading the Bible and you've reached Leviticus, or you've reached another part of the Bible. It starts going through lengthy descriptions of God's law about ceremonial and sacrificial instructions. Bloody, messy instructions about substitutionary animals that the priests laid their hands on and sacrificed for our sin. You might have got bored pretty quickly. You might have thought, what on earth has this got to do with me today in 2019? Everything. Everything. Those laws are wonderful, but only when we see who we have been and who God is. 
Only when we see that we were deserving of bloody slaughter, substituted for us though. An animal was provided by the priest. But we have the great high priest who offered himself as a sacrificial lamb on the slaughter. The one perfect, spotless, blameless lamb slaughtered on the altar for us. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. When you read Leviticus, read it and think, Jesus, this is Jesus. I deserved that, but Jesus did it. This little word here, propitiation, difficult word to say, means substitute. In fact, it means a bit more than substitute. It means that Jesus was our substitute to receive the wrath of God's judgment that we deserved upon himself. It means that he received the judgment that we deserved from the perfectly just God who needed to act out justice in order to deal with all of the horrible injustices of the world, including the injustices that we have committed. Do you ever get angry at the injustice of the world? Imagine being God, creator of the heavens and earth. How do you think he feels about it? Hates it. Here's something you need to know. You were part of the problem. You're part of the problem of injustice in the world. And God, in his justice, needed to sort it out because of who he is. Justice needed to be done. And so God himself did justice. Jesus was led to the cross by the Spirit of God. He listened to his Father through the Spirit. And just like he was willing to begin his ministry by being led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted, he allowed himself to be led by the Spirit to the cross. That's what that wrestling was in the garden. Jesus being obedient to his Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, leading him to the cross. And the deepest agony on the cross was the separation of Father and Son. And the wrath of God being poured out upon the Son for us. This perfect sacrificial lamb did it all. It is finished. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son as a propitiation for our sin. Then in verse 15, our response, oh, gloriously simple. Acknowledge your truth in your heart. Jesus is the Son of God. That is how you will know that God lives in you. Believe. Do you believe? If you believe God lives in you, you were once an enemy of God's, like we all were. But now... You are his. 
What does it say when Kanye West's instinct in one of his songs was right? Christians will be the first to judge. What does it say about what we believe Jesus has done when we are the first ones to judge? It says we don't really believe in the power of the cross. It says that that person's too bad to come to Jesus. What nonsense. It says that that person's come from the wrong background to really know Jesus. If Kanye West was a boring, 40-something, middle-aged, white man from the west end of Glasgow, would we treat him the same way? No. Let's be honest. Do you believe in the power of the cross of Jesus Christ? That's the question we need to answer. Now the Spirit who gives life through Jesus lives in us. He lives in us. The ones deserving of wrath, the ones who couldn't go near the temple or near the inner sanctuary. We couldn't get near it because we were so unworthy of being in His presence. Now because Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, the ultimate sacrifice, the one that means no other sacrifice ever needs to be made ever again, has torn the curtain in two by the power of the Spirit and by His sacrifice so that all sin is as far as the east is from the west from us. Gloriously forgiven and entering into His presence forever. The Spirit is in us. Not only does the Spirit of God lead us to the Jesus of the Bible, but He lives in us. Spirit-filled people are... Loved. I just want to go through a few things that spirit-filled people are, okay? So now we know you have the Spirit. You are, you are God's children if you believe in Jesus. The Spirit of God has led you there. That is the simple message. But I want to just show us a few things that we now should be living out as spirit-filled people. Spirit-filled people are loved by God. Love abides in us because God does. Verse 16. Is a brilliant um, pastor and author called Simon Ponsonby. He's really helpful on, on the Spirit and understanding who the Holy Spirit is. And he says this, The authentic experience of the Spirit is to be love. The authentic expression of the Spirit is to love. Love remains the criterion of Christian faith. Do you see that? God is love. We are loved by God. And now we love like God he first loved us, and now we are to love like he loves us. How are you doing with that? Because here's the practical implication of that. The practical implication is go and be with your Father through Jesus, by the Spirit. Be loved. Be the beloved of God. Be loved. And as you are loved, you will love. So how are you doing with that? Are you going to your room and closing the door regularly and just being loved by God? Are you just dwelling in His love? As you go to sleep at night, you're worrying about stuff. What do you do? What's your response? Is it just to keep worrying? Or is it, God, I'm your child. I, I, I'm loved by you. 
I'm just going to focus on that right now because that's the most important thing. And I think what you'll find is that often those worries will begin to leave you. Keep looking to Jesus as you rely on the Spirit's guidance to Him. Spirit-filled people love the gospel, this message that John has given us. They have the name of Jesus on their lips. I'm going to quote Kanye West again. Okay, bear with me. Use this gospel for protection, he says. It's a hard road to heaven. We call on your blessings in the Father. We put our faith in King. Sorry, we put our faith, King of the kingdom. Our demons are trembling. Holy angels defending in the Father. We put our faith. God is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Every day we need to sing and speak the gospel over ourselves and one another. That will keep us in his love. It will keep us away from that religious, self-righteous judgment that we're tempted to, based on performance instead of grace. And we need to remember that has nothing to do with Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus as you rely on the Spirit's guidance to him. Spirit-filled people live through Jesus. Paul says, it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are joined to Jesus in his kingdom, through his sacrifice, and by the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is dwelling in us and making much of Jesus. So how are we doing with that? Practically, what does that look like? Well, I think it, it looks like taking communion together regularly. I think it, it looks like calling out in the name of Jesus regularly. I think it, it means that we try and live like Jesus, to love like Jesus. I think it means that we make decisions based on what we think Jesus would want us to do. I think it is to continue in the mission of Jesus that he has called us to. Keep looking to Jesus as you rely on the Spirit's guidance to him. And Spirit-filled people are ready for the end. How often do we think about that? Judgment is coming. But when he comes, you will be taken home. Do you look forward to that day when you will see him face to face at last? And when you will come into his presence and share in the wedding feast in this new creation as the bride of God and the bride of Christ, we will come to that moment where we are united to him forever and ever. Are you looking forward to it? How are you doing with that? Do you think about that often? In the, in the daily grind of life, when you have to make all kinds of sacrifices, when life isn't always easy, when you're called to take up your own cross to follow Jesus, are you also remembering that it doesn't end here, it begins here, but it finishes in eternity with Christ face to face? That's our hope. When cancer comes, when life is tough, we can know that we will be face-to-face -face with Jesus in the end. Keep looking to Jesus as you rely on the Spirit's guidance to him. Last one, Spirit-filled people 
are confident. Now, I'm not talking about worldly confidence. I'm talking about confidence in God. We need to learn to ask our Father for good gifts. We need to learn to do that. And as we do that, what we will find is increasingly He will give us good gifts, and increasingly we will find our confidence in Him. But ultimately, we find our confidence not in those things that He might give us day to day, but in the ultimate gift of His Son. It always comes back to that moment. You can be confident in God because He died for you. He's not going to die for you and then give up on you. Every single sin was taken away, past, present, future, on the cross. And so now you can be confident in him. Hey, you might have really messed up this week. You can still be very confident in God. Run back to him. Know that he is calling you back every time. Keep going back to him. Keep going back to him. And you can do so confidently. The Spirit of God leads us in all truth to Jesus to the cross, to our propitiation, to our sin destroyed through the one perfect Lamb of God. And now we can live through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep looking to Jesus as you rely on the Spirit's guidance to Him. Father God, thank you that You have come through your son. You have come to us. It was your initiation. Your love was initiated by you alone. It wasn't that we did something to impress you. And I'm so thankful, Lord God, that you still came. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Father, thank you for sending your Son. Holy Spirit, we're so thankful you're here with us, living in us now, so that we might live through Christ in your power. Father God, we pray that we would understand the glory of the cross more and more in our daily lives and help us to see that we can be confident now in what you have given. And Lord, do help us not to be people who judge through the works of the world or the works of religion, but people who see the potential in others through the cross and people who see you in our brothers and sisters. When we look to one another, we say, oh, Christ in you, the hope of glory that we wouldn't be people who write one another off because we're from a particular background or we struggle with a particular sin. But we'd actually look to one another and think, wow, look at the glory of God working through that person because of what Christ has done for them. Lord Jesus, help us to be humble and not continually turn back to works, but to turn back to you, Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on you. Amen.